millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Hart. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm here at the, uh, the palatial mansion of uh, Gary Bain. Uh, hi, Gary. What are we doing today? Hi, Pete, and uh, welcome to my home. Uh, today, we're doing the second part of uh, SMS Endon, and it's the Battle of uh, Cocos Island. Ooh. Uh, SMS Emden was the undefeated commerce raider who had successfully raided around the Indian Ocean and such like, had attacked successfully Madras, had very excitingly attacked the port of Penang in Malaya, where it encountered... Who did it encounter, Gary? Our favourite ever incident in all the podcasts we've done. The Zumchung. And why do we particularly like that? Because of the name of the commander, Pete. Which was... Uh, Captain Cherkasov, or Commander Cherkasov. <laughs> Excellent. And what was he doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was in, uh, I think it was the Hotel Orion, uh, with uh, either his wife or his mistress. Yes, worth remembering, worth remembering. Anyway, after this very successful, it really was a successful raid. They also sank a, an old French uh, torpedo boat destroyer. Uh, and he decided to attack the British coaling station in the Cocos Islands. Uh, he was intending to destroy the wireless station that was there and also draw away the British forces uh, searching uh, for him in the Indian Ocean when he would go back to the Indian Ocean I presume Uh, en route he spent two days combing the Sunda Strait where where is that Gary? Uh, it's uh, near Sunda it's quite quite level and straight (laughs) (laughs) what I remember from the first podcast Pete was the subterfuge that they they would put up a false funnel a dummy funnel to pretend to be British they would sail in the wrong direction although I don't know how that worked after after he'd done it about five times you'd have thought they'd have thought he's going north or west I'll go south south east (laughs) now she steams to the Cocos arriving off uh, Direction Island at 0600 on the morning of the 9th of November and since there were no British vessels in the area uh, Von Muller sent ashore a landing party which was led by Captain Lieutenant Helmut von Mücker 
who was Emden's executive officer. I've just bought uh, a book by him, but sadly, sadly, too late for this podcast. Uh, there you go. Uh, so who went ashore then? Well, the party consisted of uh, another two officers, six non-commissioned officers and 38 sailors armed with four machine guns and 30 rifles. So, 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 so uh, they're, they're going to destroy the wireless station. Now, does the wireless station manage to send a message? Because, of course, that's the risk of this. That's the whole risk of this, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, Ender was using uh, jamming. But uh, even though they were, the British wireless station was able to transmit the message, unidentified ship off entrance. Ooh. And the, the message was received by the Australian light cruiser Sydney, which was 60 miles away, escorting an Australian troop. Now, they're the one, they're off, they're on their way to Egypt, aren't they? And they'll, they'll eventually end up at Gallipoli. So uh, that's quite a story in itself. So what does Sydney do? Uh, leave the convoy? <laughs> well, Sydney immediately heads for the Cocos Islands at uh, top speed. Now, that's risky. Because uh, if 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 there'd been a if the Carlsruhe had been about or if if it was wrong and it wasn't the Emden at Coca, that could have led to trouble, couldn't it? But uh, Lieutenant Rupert Garcia left an account from uh, from aboard the Sydney of, of picking up this message. About oh seven hundred hours, we received a garbled radio call from the Coca station. Strange ship off entrance. The Melbourne whose captain was senior officer on the convoy, ordered us to get up steam for full speed and to check out the situation. I was just taking a bath when my shipmate, Bell Sorter, barged in with the news that the enemy was only 40 nautical miles away. At first, I regarded the whole thing as one of his jokes, but soon he convinced me that this time he was serious. The noise of the turbines accelerating to high speed added to the mounting excitement. At 0915, we saw the tops of the coconut palms on Keening Island appear over the horizon. By 0920, the Emden was visible, or more accurately, the rims of her funnels were about 12 to 15 nautical miles away. Now, at about 9.15 uh, in the morning, uh, well, of course it's the morning, lookouts aboard the Emden spot smoke on the horizon. This, this it, could be, it could mean all sorts of things. It could be a, it could be a, a merchantman, but it could be their doom, couldn't it? It could, and, and, and about 30 minutes afterwards, they, they later identify it as a warship approaching at high speed, and you're going to be once more from... Uh, such high success from the first podcast, ensign Prince Franz Joseph of the SMS Emden. It was reported that the ship uh, approaching, which we had taken for the Buresque, had the tall masts of an English warship. Immediately afterwards, the ship showed the English white ensign. There was now no possible doubt as to what was before us, a hard and heavy fight with the Englishman. However hard the fight, our confidence in the fighting power of our ship and the proved leadership of our captain was so great that every man in the Emden hoped to win through again, to endure the fighting honourably, and to gain the victory. The captain gave the order, Clear ship for action! At the same time, the siren sounded for the hasty recall of the landing party. Minutes were precious, and, and they could not be recalled. There was no time to wait for the return, and could not, the minutes could not be recalled. That's right. There was no time to wait for the return of the landing party. Steam must be got up in all boilers. The Emden must be able to use her full speed. One of my better readings. I no, thought. but but he is right, isn't he? If you recall, they uh, in the first podcast they were talking about wanting to get like a little scar from an action, uh, and were disappointed that they hadn't. And they really did have uh, confidence in the proven leadership of their captain. 
Yeah, it's a bit of purple prose, but it, it, they meant it. They, they meant it. Yeah, they absolutely did. Now there, there's no time left. Uh, uh, Mook's uh, landing party is going to have to stay and and see what happens because uh, they've got to go. And uh, torpedo petty officer Ernst Puskel uh, from the Emden, you're going to be him. We had never manned our stations so fast. All preparations were made with utmost speed. Emergency lights lit, damage control timber cleared, that sort of thing. With torpedoes ready for launching, we waited for further orders during the long, agonising minutes. Through the speaking tube, I gathered from Leutnant Withoft that the foreign ship <coughs> excuse me, was an English cruiser. By the end and strong vibrations and the water rushing alongside her, I could tell we were speeding toward the enemy. Fifteen minutes later, our guns unleashed their first salvos. Yeah, the, the Emden opened fire first, which is a bit of a shock to the captain of the Sydney, and I'm going to be Captain John Glossom from uh, the Sydney. We class very fast, and at 9.40, much to our surprise, the Emden opened fire at 10,500 yards, having made no real attempt to run away. Her opening fire was a surprise because it had previously been thought that her extreme range was only about 9,500 yards. We had once opened fire on her and the firing became general. As soon as her first salvo had fallen, she began to fire very rapidly in salvos, the rate of fire being as high as 10 rounds per gun per minute and very accurate for the first 10 minutes. This is, she was a very good gunnery ship. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> A mixture of hatred and loathing that I've never seen on your face before. Now, the Emden straddled the Sydney with her third salvo. Some were less cool under fire for the first time, and I'm going to be Assistant Paymaster Eric Kingsford-Smith of HMS Sydney. HMAS Sydney. Now, I particularly like the start of this one. My word, mummy, I will never forget the sound of shrapnel and other shells shrieking and bursting all around. You seem to hear it coming from a good way off. Shortly after the flash from the guns, and then with a sort of whistling shriek, it whizzes overhead or to the side and the water it kicks up on hitting the sea goes up about 50 feet. It's a ghastly sound, and it was continuous, only varied by some of these shells bursting and the sound of countless pieces hitting all around. Now, he'd not long emigrated to Australia, clearly. Yeah, because he did no Australian accent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, uh, the Sydney's gunners are... Sorry, the 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 the, the Emden's guns are firing uh, very fast. And, and what's he trying to do? What's Von Muller trying to do? Because well, he, he is... The Sydney is a stronger ship, isn't it? Yeah, so he's hoping to overwhelm the Sydney with a barrage of shells. And, uh, you know, so that this is before her heavier armament could take effect. Now, two shells do indeed hit Sydney, one of which disables the uh, fire control station. The other, unfortunately, fails to explode, or I'm fortunately, sure depending on your point of view. <laughs> That's right. And you're going to be Lieutenant Rupert Garcia of the Sydney. I heard a loud crash. A shell had hit the upper edge of the protective shield on the number one starboard gun. A petty officer came limping towards me and told me he'd just carried an officer below. Apart from that, the fire control station was totally out of order, all its occupants wounded. I told the petty officer if he could go to starboard gun number two and see if a fire had broken out there. If he saw any cartridge cases lying about, he should toss them overboard immediately. The man bravely gathered himself together and limped towards the stern. There he found the beginning of a dangerous cordite fire. 
Later, I saw smoke rising from the stern. I ran to it immediately, but found only the glowing remains of the fire and two men with bad foot injuries sitting on a platform. Now, one of the gun trainers was amongst the wounded, uh, and I'm going to be able seaman Arthur Hooper of the Sydney. When the shell burst, it sounded as if a handful of stones had been thrown against the gun. A concussion was terrific. I couldn't even look round. Then I felt a terrific heat, and the silence of the crew induced me to look back. I shall never forget the sight. Everything round the gun was on fire. I looked like being roasted. I made a rush through the flames and came upon the gun layer on his hands and knees, crawling out of the fire. I pulled him out of the danger, and as his clothes were on fire, I tore them off him. He had a great hole in his back. Close by the sight sitter, setter, sorry, was sitting with all his toes torn off one foot and half the other foot blown off. He was cheerful under the circumstances. I asked him where the gun crew were, as there was not a man to be seen. He replied that he did not know. That's now, very graphic. That is graphic. No silly voices for that, I think. Uh, so it takes a while for the Sydney to file the, file, find the range. So she's been, there's a, you know, a, a loads of shells dropping on and round her. Uh, and she, she, it takes her a while, but she does get the range. And you're going to be Oberlautnant Robert Withoft. We could actually pick up the shells as they came towards us, looking like so many blue bottle flies. They seemed to waver as they neared, and then we lost them as they moaned over us. Now, the, what, what you can imagine what uh, Muller's thinking. He's got to get closer to, make, to try and finish off the Sydney, to, to get to torpedo range, where, where that, you know, she hit with a torpedo, which Bob's your uncle. Um, it's not your uncle, Bob, but... Uh, uh, but uh, the Sydney's armed with six-inch guns. Now, the Emden's only got 4.1-inch guns. This makes a hell of a difference. Once they've found the range, what do you think begins to happen? And you're going you're gonna to tell us. You're going to be Torpedo Petty Officer Ernst Pusco. There was a loud explosion and a sound like rolling thunder. Another huge explosion, and then a creaking, splintering, bursting of iron and steel, followed by a hard metallic thud. The entire ship vibrated. I leapt to the speaking tube. What's happening? What's going on? I shouted, and a voice answered. The foremast took a direct hit, and the lookout and Ensign von Gurad were thrown overboard. Mast and rigging are dragging in the water alongside the ship. Fresh explosions, louder and longer lasting than before, shook the ship. The riveted portside seams had been torn apart by the pressure of an incoming shell. We could see daylight. Water poured into our small compartment, as if from an open sluice. What could we do? We picked up the hammocks and pressed them with all our might against the split bulkheads. Everyone laboured with their last ounce of strength to contain the water. It was no use. Our flood control timbers were broken like matches. We tried everything, and still the water kept coming in. Now, his officer was Ensign Prince Franz Joseph. He was a torpedo officer, so he's also down there. And he says, at 10.20, there was a diagonal hit on the armoured deck below the waterline. The explosion was powerful, and the shock was so great that our t torpedo machinist, <laughs> whoops, an unusually big and strong man, measured his length on the plates. It was so comical. In spite of the seriousness of the position and the fight for life or death, we could not restrain our laughter. This shell made a rent in the armoured deck through which water and the explosion gases were able to enter the torpedo flat. This is the same instant as uh, Pushka was talking about. We of the, that, sorry, that's me saying that. <laughs> we of the torpedo branch therefore put on our smoke bandages. Gas masks were not then known and they did good service.
service. My men then tried to stop up the rent in the armoured deck, for which they used uh, shores, covers and planks, which were sto- stored in their torpedo flat. Now, um, during this shelling, these shells, the six-inch shells, are crashing down. What other damage is done? Well, the wireless compartment was destroyed and uh, and the crew for one of the forward guns was killed very early in the engagement. Two six-inch shells which landed on the starboard... Two six-inch shells landed on the starboard side of the... Uh, poop deck now i have no idea what that means at all i don't know what starboard is and i don't know what a poop deck is righty all right okay now i'm going to be officer's cook friedrich lochau of the sms emden the entire poop deck was lifted as if it was cardboard suddenly the whole mass of steel was torn asunder by one or more explosions with the air pressure alone almost throwing us off our feet a fierce fiery column shot up forcing whole pieces of steel high up into the air together with parts of our boats and dozens of men who had been stationed on the deck next everything was enveloped in thick heavy smoke a few seconds of stillness followed i stood frozen and looked at this dreadful scene as if hypnotized now what's happening here during this whole battle von muller keeps turning the emden towards the sydney the sydney evades and tries to keep her at arm's length so to speak uh, 9:45, he makes another attempt to get closer to get those torpedoes off to try and win the battle uh, at a stroke um, then a shell disables the steering gear uh, other fragments jam the hand steering equipment uh, so she can only be really steered by her propellers left you know one or the other um, sydney's going fired by this time to also destroy the range finder so well that means they're much less likely to hit uh, with their guns uh, some of the guns are as we've heard out of action and heavy casualties were occurring amongst the gun crews which again reduced the rate of fire that the Emden can fire at so everything's now really in favour of the Sydney and you're going to be left, Le- Lieutenant Rupert Garcia on the Sydney who, uh, and report how you're feeling about the battle being faster than the Emden we could dictate the nature of the battle We now shifted fire to the starboard battery. I was quite deaf by now. In my haste, I had neglected to stuff my ears with cotton. It was something I wouldn't forget the next time. So uh, Muller's making, he make, uh, I can't remember which one, he, he makes another attempt, third attempt, they say. Uh, 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 but Sydney just turns away. She, he can't get close enough. And then just after 10 o'clock, a shell from Sydney uh, detonates uh, the ammunition near the starboard number four gun and a serious fire starts. There's a final attempt to launch in a torpedo attack, but that still the Sydney keeps the range away. This is going on all the time during this phase. Uh, he just needs to hit the Sydney with a bloody torpedo and it could be a great victory. Um, what's his overall attitude though, Muller? Uh, what's he thinking, do you think? We don't, we, well, we do know in one sense because he did survive the battle, but what's he thinking? Well, he, he's certainly thinking it's a matter of honour that, that his, his ship fights as long as, as she could. And uh, duty was the watchword. Duty to the Kaiser, duty to the fatherland, duty to their families, duty to their comrades and duty to themselves. So a pride in their own performance because uh, they are an elite ship as far as they're concerned. Uh, now, you're going to be torpedo petty officer Ernst Puskel again uh, from the Emden. Starboard amidships tube, stand by to launch. So there was still hope for a shot. Our torpedoes had functioned so well at Penang. Torpedo ready, we reported. And the bridge came back with, stand by. 
I could feel my heartbeat in my throat. My hands waited impatiently on the lever. Then a renewed explosion followed by deep, deep darkness. A hissing surge of water and screaming filled the room. Help! Open up! Somebody called out. What had happened? In a few moments, the water was up to our noses. Now the 13 of us had to swim. But where to? It was pitch black. We could see nothing. We could only hear and touch. Was the ship sinking? My hands groped for the pipes that ran overhead. Someone heard our shouts, for suddenly the armour plate over the hatch lifted. A few shipmates nearby had been able to open it from the middle deck. That was what saved us. It would have been impossible for us swimming in the dark to open the catches from below. Now air and light penetrated the gas-filled darkness. We were seized by the collar and hauled onto the solid deck. Now by 10.45... The, the Emden's guns are just pretty well quiet. The, the superstructure's been smashed to buggery, uh, and the, the two rearmost funnels have been shot away, uh, along with the foremast. Um, and uh, I'm going to be Ensign Prince Franz Joseph again. And he says this. He's, he was one of the ones who'd escaped with Pusco. And he says, Going farther along the upper deck, I then saw for myself a frightful amount of damage everywhere, dead and severely wounded men, everywhere groaning and moaning and plaintive cries for help. The most distressing part was the realisation that there was nothing one could do and that the pain could not be assuaged, for everything was a heap of wreckage. Wherever one's glance fell, one saw only holes in the side, bent pieces of metal, burning rubbish and ashes. Our once trim Emden was a ghastly sight. In the fore battery, I found Oberlautnant Gerds, who was wounded. He pointed out to me our gunnery officer, Gade. Gade was lying at the port gun, breathing his last breath, dying fully conscious, for he still recognised me. His uniform was red with blood. Wow. Wow. Uh, Ernst Puschel, he he was also shocked at the devastation they they discovered below decks and... uh, Above decks. Uh, sorry, above decks. And uh, I'm once more going to be Torpedo Petty Officer Ernst Puskel. Between decks was a horrible sight. Of- you were right. <laughs> Between decks was a horrible sight of wounded men crying out for help. We clambered over the smouldering wreckage to the stoker's showers, for we were plagued by a terrible thirst. Luckily, we found some dirty bath water and slurped it greedily. I pushed my head through a porthole and saw the destroyed foremast dragging in the water. Now, von Muller, he realised that the, his ship was totally unable to fight on and uh, he, he beached the Emden on North Kier. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...island to save the lives of his crew. At 11.15, Emden was run onto the reef and the engines and boilers were flooded. And Torpedo Petty Officer Pushal goes on to say, Land in sight! I called to my comrades. A few more hits, then a tremendous bump, a strong vibration throughout the ship, and we'd run aground. All hands on deck, we heard from topside. How could we get out of this heap of rubble? Very carefully, we stretched our necks through the short riddled bulkheads. Astern, I saw the enemy cruiser, a smoke cloud overhead, hurry away. Finally, after a long search, we found a crack in the bulkhead, large enough so that with some effort, we could escape through it. Off the stern, we saw the enemy cruiser grow smaller as it sped away. Standing beside uh, the guns and over our fallen comrades, we cursed the fleeing ship in anger and frustration. Was he going to leave us to our fate? It seemed that way, for he knew the Emden was a helpless wreck. Now, there's still, though, a, a, a good crew. They, they, uh, they get their breech blocks, any radar, a torpedo aiming gear, they throw it, or anything that might have been useful, they're throwing overboard, making the weapons unusable, all the signal books, the secret papers, they're all burned. Uh, where, where, but where, he said the Sydney was leaving. Where's the Sydney going? Well, um, <laughs> the Sydney turned to, to capture the Collier, the uh, Buresque, whose crew actually scuttled her as the Australian cruiser approached. Very sensible. There's Very no sensible. way, of course, the Buresque could... Uh... But then, as a result, Sydney then returned to the wrecked Emden and inquired if she surrendered. Ah, now, there's a problem. <laughs> yes. When you said very sensibly they destroyed everything, the signal books had been destroyed by fire, and so the Germans could not understand nor reply. Worse still, the German flag was still flying proudly. And once more, you're going to be Ensign Prince Franz Joseph. Captain Lieutenant Klopper, on the approach of the enemy, opened the seacocks and threw the valves themselves overboard. I was standing on the shattered bridge of our poor Emden to watch what move the returning enemy would make. She stopped exactly as stern of us at about 4,000 yards distance. The expectation that the enemy would now send us boats was not at first fulfilled. Instead, an international signal went up, which, for lack of a signal book, we could not read. I'm not quite sure whether they threw it overboard or whether it was burned. There's two stories there, aren't there? Uh, on the captain's order, a signalman returned the Morse flag signal. No signal book. 
Suddenly, to our great astonishment, the Englishmen began to fire on us. I saw the smoke puff out fore and aft and reported at once to the captain and hurried down from the bridge as I had no desire to be caught by a shell splinter. I had scarcely got below when the first shell arrived. A stoker standing near me sank down without a sound. A splinter had caught him in the back of the head and killed him instantly. Now, uh, so that's just terrible. How, how does what does what's going on? Well, um, Captain von Muller, von Muller, he's appalled. You know, they'd fought to the end, but but this was beyond the end. So it's not the beginning of the end. It's beyond the beginning and past the end. And Captain von Muller of Emden says. When the Sydney had passed our stern and lay aft on our starboard quarter, she opened fire again unexpectedly with several salvos, by which several of my men were killed or wounded, and fresh fires were started. I again gave the crew leave to abandon ship if they could swim and wanted to, as I did not know how long the Sydney would go on firing, and this seemed the only possibility of escape. Now, uh... Uh, I'm going to be Prince Franz Joseph again, and he uh, he's one who remembers this period, uh, and, and he, he, he carries on. Muller at once announced, Whoever can swim may jump overboard if he wishes. Many of the men availed themselves of this permission, and I also jumped overboard to port, seized a floating plank, and tried to get through the surf to land. Thank God there were no sharks about. <laughs> Something to think about. But they usually abound in these waters. I think they must have been frightened away by the numerous shells exploding in the water during the fight. Now, uh, how does he do? Well, his planks show signs of being overwhelmed by the sheer number of men clinging onto it. So he swam back to the Emden and he goes on to say... In the Emden, the ensign was hauled down and the white flag run up. Uh, on running onto the reef, the flag had been forgotten. As God knows, other work was more pressing, and it did not occur to us that a flag at the main top of a wreck would be taken as reason for resuming the bombardment. I'll come back to that. This attack on the wreck claimed several more victims. It was a wonder that a shell did not strike the forecastle, where the wounded were lying, and where a large number of officers and men were attending as far as possible to their wounds. The thing about this is, this is a misunderstanding of war. I don't particularly blame the the, the Sydney for this, because they they could they knew they were helpless but the sydney doesn't know and if the flag's flying the flag's flying it means that they've not surrendered so it, it's on this whole incident is really unfortunate between two ships both with crews are fighting according to the rules of war but this is just one of those things that happened now the australians they cease fire and at last it's all over although the Emden crew were left to fend for themselves overnight and uh, prince france joseph says that night, each man made himself as comfortable as he could on the wreck. The clear, tropical sky was wonderfully beautiful. With a particular sign of the southern hemisphere, the southern cross, over us as we slept. The night did not, however, pass without disturbance. Fires kept breaking out and had at once to be extinguished. Most of us were quite exhausted. We had nothing to eat the whole day, and the frightful heat of the day had taken more out of us than would otherwise have been the case. At dawn we were on our feet again, somewhat refreshed by our short night's rest, but not in the best of humours. Now, well, so well, he, he looks for his friends, doesn't he? I mean, this is the time where, where you, you can imagine, you can see there's lots of casualties, so you, he, he's going to look for his jumps, and I'm going to be Franz Joseph again. During the morning, I went on to the shattered quarterdeck and looked for my friend Levetesro. Near the mainmast, I discovered his remains. 
Oh, the, there, there were only bones. The rest was burnt. From the shape of the head and an overlautenant star, I was certain it was really... Levitsov. Thank you. He must have been killed by the explosion of the ammunition uh, for, the, uh, for the after battery. His remains were committed to the sea, according to nautical custom. Now, so how effective has the Emden been during the action? Because it was a brave fight, but how effective... Well, during the action, Emden scored 16 hits on Sydney, killing three of her crew and wounding another 13. A fourth crewman died later from his injuries. However, Sydney had meanwhile fired some 670 rounds of ammunition with around 100 hits claimed. Emden had suffered much higher casualties. 133 officers and enlisted men died out of a crew of 376. Most of the surviving crew, including von Müller, were taken into captivity the next day. So a third of the crew are dead? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Captain Glossop of HMS Sydney sent a message to von Müller, and you're going to read that message. Dear sir, I have the honour in the name of humanity to request that you surrender your ship. As a sign of my admiration for your bravery, may I sum up the situation as follows. Your ship is grounded. Three funnels and one mast have toppled. Most guns are unserviceable. You can no longer leave this island. My ship, on the other hand, is intact. If you surrender, which, if I may point this out, would be no dishonour, but merely a misfortune, I will attempt to do all I can for your sick and wounded and turn them over to the nearest hospital. I have the honour, dear sir, of being your obedient servant. Sir, this is, this is quite... Uh, Quite a, 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 a friendly, not friendly, but a, a respectful message, isn't it? It's respectful when he's reaching out to Von Müller. And, and actually, surrender was inevitable and no disgrace. No disgrace whatsoever to anybody on the Emden's crew, I think. And you're going to be La- Lieutenant Rupert Garcia on the Sydney. At 11 o'clock, we arrived back at the Emden. I was sent over in a cutter. Luckily, the ship's stem loomed above the surf breakers, and with the help of a hanging rat line, I could get close to it, pointing my bow seaward. Then I was received by the captain of the Emden. I explained the offer of our captain. If he would give his word of honour, a parole, we would be ready to take his crew on board the Sydney and bring them directly to Colombo. At the word parole, he hesitated but agreed readily once I explained its exact meaning. Then came the terrible task of transferring the seriously wounded to the boats. I took the opportunity of congratulating the commanding officer of the Emden. I told him he'd fought very well. He stopped short and said brusquely, No, I didn't. I left his side abruptly. Soon he approached and said, I thank you for your kind words, but I am not satisfied. We should have done better. You had a lot of luck on your side since my whole command system was destroyed at the beginning. Now, this is something that's going to... This grips hold of uh, Von Müller. It's sad, really, because he had fought. I think it's a wonderful fight, uh, but it 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 is something. That, uh, this doesn't go away quickly. This feeling of uh, that he could have done better. Um, now the re- remnants of the Emden crew they're taken uh, aboard the Sydney, and uh, uh, once more, Ensign P- Prince Franz Joseph gives his uh, gives his impressions. The transshipment of the Emden ship's company began, the severely wounded men going first. Owing to the very heavy sea towards the land, there was a danger that the lifeboats would be crushed against the Emden. Some of the seas were washing over the stem and occasionally breaking over the side onto the deck. The transshipment of the wounded was greatly hindered by this. 
The crews of the English cutters showed great ability by keeping the boats in such a position that they were not dashed against the ship's side so that the wounded could be got into the boats without giving the poor fellows too much pain. The severely wounded men were lashed into carrying hammocks and lowered carefully. The lightly wounded men were more easily transferred and then the uninjured men followed. Last of all, Capitan von Müller left his ship. With a few men, he had been trying to start a fire in the neighbourhood of the magazines. We hoped by this means to set fire to the magazines and blow the Emden to pieces and sink it. Unfortunately, this attempt was unsuccessful. Uh, also, I think that's pretty dumb. I think it, it shows that von Müller's not thinking that clearly. Because uh, all he could have done is blown himself and his crew up. Now, the wounded men, they're, they're sent to Australia, while the uninjured were interned at a camp in Malta. Uh, these men were subsequently returned to Germany in 1920. Hey, hang on, what about the landing party? Uh, that's von, is it von Muck or Muck, anyway? What, what happens to that? Well, Muck's landing party, they evaded capture. They realised that the Emden would be destroyed, so Muka ordered the old schooner Aisha to be prepared for sailing. So that's something that's in the, the harbour of the Caucasus, uh, one of the har- yeah. Now, the Germans, they, they depart before Sydney reached Direction Island and sailed to Padang in the Dutch East Indies. And from there, they travelled to Yemen, which was then part of the Ottoman Empire, which was, of course, an ally of Germany. It was, wasn't it? Uh, they then travelled overland to Constantinople, not Istanbul, arriving in June 1915. There, they reported to Vice Admiral Wilhelm Suchorn, uh, the commander of the ex-German battlecruiser Gerben. So, so that's, I mean, that's a story which I've just, I've told you, just bought the book by him. It, it's a rather yeah, good Yeah, that's an adventure of, of oh, itself, it is. It's, it? it's a right story. Now, um, what, so what happens to the Emden herself? Because surely it's just uh, a battered old wreck smashed up on their thing. But isn't it filled with corpses and things? Well, yeah, uh, the British sloop Cadmus arrives at the Cocos Islands about a week after the battle, uh, with the intent to bury the sailors killed. Uh, it, it's a terrible task, and I'm going to be Chief Petty Officer Burke Keel of HMS Cadmus. We saw all those lifeless, poisoned corpses stretched out next to each other on deck. Some of the shells had entered the Emden starboard side and come right out again on the port side. The officers told us it would be impossible to bring the corpses on land for burial. We tried grabbing one corpse by its feet. Other men packed corpses under arms and tried to drag them to the gangplank, but limbs suddenly gave way and tore off. After all, the ship and her dead crew had been lying in the gruelling sun for nine days. You can imagine the horrible stench that hung in the air. After the first try, we didn't want to touch another body. In those days, there were no gas masks on board, and we were already faint from the decomposing odour. Many of them had bloated to almost double their size. Throats had closed up and locked all the gases inside. Motion released them. We didn't accomplish much that day and had to return the next. The ship's doctor gave us gauze saturated with chloroform. Thus masked, we decided to conclude our work as cleanly and efficiently as possible. We searched the engine and boiler rooms for shovels and similar equipment. Using them, we brought the cadavers to the gangway. We built a type of chute over which we dragged them. All this work was done with our faces averted. When we started to throw the bodies overboard, the sharks were right there. Some of them must have weighed 10 tonnes, the largest, largest sharks I'd ever seen. They would grab a corpse, turn like lightning on their own axis and dive. Two men were in boats below, bobbing up and down, surrounded by those murderous thrashing fish. 
They swore at us with every known curse a seaman can muster. They were so close to the sharks that the roiled water splashed into their boats. This ghastly work lasted three to four days. Roiled water? Yeah, it's when you sort of bring up the sediment from the bottom, make it muddy and, and you know, unclear. How do you know that? I looked it up yesterday because I knew you were going to ask me. Well, I don't know what it means, and I'm, I'm now I will remember that and put it into my everyday conversation. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Now let's oh, well, let's analyse. That's how, it's time to analyse, Gary. Come on, 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 come on. We've right. got it. over a, a raiding career spanning three months, not long, not long, and thirty thousand nautical miles. That's uh, roughly 56,000 kilometres or 35,000 miles. Well, good at maths, aren't you? Emden had destroyed two Entente ships. That's the, the Zemchung and the uh, the one we've forgotten the name of, the French destroyer. And sank or captured 16 British steamers and one Russian merchant ship, totalling 70,825 gross registered tonnes. Uh, another four British ships were captured. And released, we mentioned that uh, in the first podcast, and one British and one Greek ship were used as colliers. Wow. Uh, I think that's pretty successful. It's pretty successful. Did it affect the war? Well, no, uh, in the sense that, I mean, it's just a drop in the ocean, literally, if you'll pardon the pun. They delayed the uh, sailing of the Australian convoys. They, they, they did. They, yeah, they had it to get caused some confusion when they broke from uh, the, uh, the the squadron uh, that they were in and went off into the Indian Ocean. That caused some concern to the British. But um, fundamentally, they were only going to Egypt anyway. They were, I mean, the, the, the Gallipoli wasn't then planned uh, i'm not sure the emden has any real impact on the war at all it's a brave story and it's a way for the craig's marine to to strike out they you know they were but pretty, they couldn't get home could they, they couldn't get home and and what else were they to do now captain carl von muller oh he's a, he is a bit of a hero of ours well he? he he was a prisoner and he sent back to a pow camp at the midlands agricultural and dairy college now i, I did pull that in deliberately because i thought that was just quite surrealistic that's now part of the campus of the University of Nottingham. I think I've played cricket there, actually. Um, what state's he in? Well, his health's been badly affected by recurrent malaria. Uh, no, but despite, so he, he's just finished then, is he? Well, despite that, in uh, 1917, he led a tunnel escape of some 21 prisoners, but he was soon recaptured. He's not a man who gives up easily, is he? Well, also, you know, 21 German escapees wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb in the Midlands, would they? No. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> Oh, you, you're referring to their strange accents in, oh, it'd be strange in empire. Yes. <laughs> now, his decline in health means he was released to return to Germany in January 1918, uh, whereupon he was oh, awarded... Oh, he must have been bad then. Yeah. Now, whereupon he's awarded the Pour Le Merite. Now, there's quite some controversy over that, because when he gets back, there's a, a bit of a row about it. There's actually questions about whether he'd done his best at the Battle of Cocos Islands. I think this is nonsense. And eventually, the wiser heads prevail, and he is, as you were just about to say, he's awarded the Pour Le Merite, and he's, he's considered a hero. In some ways, Von Mack had got back first, and he'd been the hero. If you you see, because that was an even greater tale of adventure and daring, do so. So what what happens? To, what well, happens? As to you Von? mentioned, you alluded to it that Von Müller he's racked with a kind of survivor's guilt as to his conduct in the final battle, and he dies in 1923, aged just 49. That's even younger than you. 
It is. Now, in 1915, a Japanese company proposed that the uh, Emden be repaired and refloated. Well, I've, I've seen the photographs, and we'll put up some photographs. I, that's a, an ambitious project. How does it go? Well, wave damage made such an operation unfeasible, and... Uh, after war by Is it 19, still there? Well, after war by 1919, the wreck had almost completely broken up and disappeared beneath the waves. It was eventually broken up in the early 1950s by a Japanese salvage company, although parts of the ship remained scattered around the area. Well, in Australia, three three of the ships, 10.5 centimetres. 4.1 inch, yeah. Yeah, they were removed from the wreck three years after the battle. Where are they? Where? Once preserved in Hyde Park in Sydney a second at the Royal Australian Navy Heritage Centre, and the third is on display at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. Any other memorabilia from the Emden? Well, there's a number of other artefacts, including the Emden's bell, a shell case, and an, uh, an iron rivet from the hull and uniforms. So th- there's other things to see, yes. It's a, it's a great story. I've really enjoyed this. this was, I want to make this clear. This was Gary's idea that we do this, and Gary has driven this project. And uh, I, I think it's absolutely great. Um, well, books to read. Well, we'll go back to the books of uh, Mac's book, which I can't remember the name of, but there's one on the uh, his career as a raider and one of his adventures on the Aisha. I'll put them up in a, a posting when Gary reminds me. Uh there's, I think the best book, I love it, uh, uh, Franz Joseph's book, Emden, the story of the famous raiding cruiser. Now, the other one I liked, uh, what, what was that? that? Wes Olsen, what's that called, Gary? The Last Cruise of a German Raider, The Destruction of SMS Emden. And there are others. There's R.K. Lochner's The Last Gentleman of War, The Raider Exploits of the Cruiser Emden. And since the, I, I wrote, uh, you know, got into this, I bought three more. Um, uh, there's a lot on the Emden. It's a, but it's a great story, isn't it? It is. It's uh, and and I think I might well uh, get some books on the Emden now and learn a bit more. Well, what an adventure we've been through with von Müller and his merry men. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, thanks, Gary. Yeah. Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?